Amen. Amen. Can we give God one more round of applause? Most importantly, and this amazing team, you guys are so good. We're so blessed to have y'all. Oh, man, it's good to be here with everybody this morning. Let's turn the lights up. Let's have some fun. Look at the person next to you. Tell them you look phenomenal. Tell them. Tell them. You look, yeah, you look phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, you look phenomenal, sir. Yeah. Anybody alone, you look phenomenal. Watching online, turn to the, shout at the person in the other room that's not watching church and tell them, you look amazing. They'll be like, what are you talking about? And be like, I'm watching church. Anyways, so glad you guys are here. If you're new, if it's your first time, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors that gets to serve here. And like you heard during the announcements, we are in week four of our summer deep dive series going through the book of Philippians. And we're wrapping up the book today. How cool has it been? We've covered the whole book of Philippians. Has anyone enjoyed this month? Okay, that was, all right. It was, it was a little delayed, but I appreciate it. Some of you were there with me. Some of you are like, we've been going through Philippians? Yes! No. Um, so glad you're here. We're just going to jump right into Philippians 4. And while you turn there, we're going to get started in verse 4. Um, I do want to re- reiterate some of what Joel said. July is going to be a fun month. We enjoyed this study so much. We're going to do like Summer Deep Dive 2.0, and we're just going to keep going. I don't know if you know this, but after the letter to Philippians, there's the letter to Colossians. And so we're going to jump into the letter of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. And it's just like Philippians in that it has four chapters. And guess what? There's four weeks in the month of July. So each week we're going to cover a chai. Yeah. All right. We got one guy. Thank you. Um, But no, just kind of fun digging through some books of the Bible, diving in. And and the book of Colossians is very different from the book of Philippians. Philippians, we said at the outset and every week we reminded the main theme in the book of Philippians is what? Hey, I love it when people listen. Yeah. The main theme, I know y'all all all typed it in the chat room there on Facebook and church online, is joy. Right? On the count of three, everybody say joy. One, two, three. Joy. And so we've been, oh, that even sounded joyful. I like it. One person sounded angry. They were like, joy, but it's okay. You got to get there. It's like therapy. But, um, but we've been like diving into this concept of joy. The apostle Paul out of 104 verses writes about joy 19 times in the book of Philippians. And, and so we've been digging into it, man. I've just enjoyed it. I've felt the joy of the Lord throughout this month in the highs and lows. And he kind of ends it out with this amazing anthem pointing us to how we further step into this joy, how we further step into this peace. And again, if there's a season where I think this is such a preeminent topic for us to be talking about, it's the season we find ourselves in right now. Coming off of 2020 and 2021, it almost feels like the world is a flower, like reblooming or blossoming a little bit. You know what I mean? Like we're kind of starting to emerge, you know, uh, I appreciate those of you in masks and, you know, if you're not vaccinated or if you want to wear masks, like there's just, a, it's kind of this weird in between time, you know, like I'm, I'm traveling in the airport. You still got to have a mask on. Then you walk in some places and they're like, why are you wearing a mask? And it's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make people happy, but it's a good season as we're kind of emerging and getting to it. And I think the truth found in Philippians four is going to help us walk through it in an even more blessed way. So we're just going to jump right in. Oh, I do want to reiterate what Joel said though. Next week, 4th of July, America, right? Hey, who's excited for 4th of July? Yeah, right. Have some fun here. We're going to do the old school, like barbecue and we got food trucks, multiple food trucks coming here. So even if you like know somebody and they're not about God in church, just ask them, do you like food? And they should say yes and be like, now nah, you can come to a food truck event. And then you trick them into coming. To, I'm just kidding. Um, you'll be honest with them. But we're going to have the food trucks in between services and after, play some cornhole, have some music, just that good old 4th of July barbecue. If you, has anybody ever seen the movie Sandlot? You know, the night game scene? 
That's what I imagine next week. It's going to be good. And we'll be kicking off Summer Deep Dive in the book of Colossians. And then, man, a lot of serving opportunities coming up like you heard. And then baptism, guys. If you haven't taken that step of taking the deep dive. Yeah. Wow. Clapping for baptism. This is going to be a good Sunday. Let's try this. Tithing. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, no, it's too late. Yeah, I was like, he was like, what does he want? Yeah, no. Um, But baptism, that's going to be happening in July. Literally, we're studying the deep dive. What better way to study the deep dive than giving the opportunity for some people to take the deep dive, to take that God plunge, to put on that God jersey, which we'll talk about here in just a second. So a lot of stuff coming up, and then we're revving up for the school year. Got a back-to-school blessing Sunday coming up in August, and then our big fall kickoff series starting in September. Look at somebody else. Look at a different person and say, it's getting good. Tell them it's getting good. It's got to be a different person. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four, we're just going to read what Paul tells us. He says, rejoice. I love that word, right? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. I don't know how many of you grew up in church, but that's a familiar line, right? Anybody remember that old song? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Anybody? Anybody remember that? Some of you are like, bro, you are a dork, right? No, <laughs> no, it's an old school song we used to sing in Sunday school, and it sounds cute, right? Like, we'll just go pause there. I'm going to kind of go verse by verse through this. We're just going to pause there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Like, again, that sounds great, but like, you ever had like a bad day, and then you meet somebody really religious, or you come across that friend that's like super Krish, and you're like, man... Today's hard. And they look at you and they go, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And you're just like, I'm going to rejoice in your face, right? Like, it's like, like, wait, like, I don't know what that means. But like, uh, like, sometimes that's a hard thing. He says rejoice in the Lord always. That word always is hard. I mean, like, we're, we're, we're like, I, I like it. Um, Mike Todd says, we're a hot church, humble, open, and transparent. I like that. And so let's just be humble, open, and transparent here. I don't rejoice in the Lord always. Specifically, Monday mornings, they're hard to rejoice. Wednesdays, sometimes hard to rejoice. Certain people make it hard to rejoice, right? Like um, certain seasons, every four years when the country's going like, ah, we hate each other. It's hard to rejoice then, right? Like rejoice. But, but here Paul says rejoice. Always. And what I found is he gives us the secret right there in the first verse. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And we're like, man, it's hard to rejoice always. Well, it depends on what you're rejoicing in. Notice, he says, he doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances always. He doesn't say rejoice in your environment always. He doesn't say rejoice in your friends and family always. Why doesn't he say that? Because it's not always easy and or possible to rejoice in those things. But what he says is rejoice in the Lord. How can we have joy that surpasses understanding? How can we have peace that literally can permeate through any circumstance? How can we have those things because of where we are found in and who we are found in? Even when life is going awful, even when they're running a, a muck and going crazy, even when the circumstances don't match your ideal or the environment is awful, we can rejoice because we rejoice in the Lord. That's how we can rejoice always. It's where we're rejoicing and who we're rejoicing in. So it's okay to be like, man, this sucks. This is not good. This is awful. But in God, I got joy. So I can rejoice in the Lord. And I love that he just starts with that stanza. Rejoice in the Lord always. And anytime the Bible repeats itself, you need to press in. And again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your So he's writing to the, the church in Philippi, and they're like, 
They're the church. I mean, this is the church in Philippi is the church. They're the ones that Paul was probably the most proud proud of. A lot of people think the church in Philippi was Paul's favorite church. It was also the most like pagan church. We talked about it in chapter one. Like there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. There wasn't a bunch of Jews that became Christians. These are like mainly lost pagan Gentiles that said, Jesus sounds amazing, started following him. And they just had this idea of, hey, whatever the next step is, I'll take it. Sometimes I really like reaching people that hate the idea of God and Jesus and or religion. Like sometimes those are the best people to reach for Jesus. Because what I love about people that don't know God and have no concept is you tell them about Jesus and they're like, that's amazing. Because yes, I am messed up. Yes, I do have shame and guilt. I know I need help in life. Then you tell them about a God that loves them, that sent his son to die in their place for, in his place for them. Like I've seen people that have no context of God or church give their life to Jesus. And what I love is they go, what's next? And you go, get baptized. And then they go, okay. And they get in some water and they come out of the water and they go, what's next? And you go, start serving, get in a group. And then they start serving to get in a group. And all of a sudden people that have no religious context or Christian background see miles of growth compared to those of us that come from religious background because of our preconceived notions. Religious people are really hard to reach. People that think they know the Bible and think they know all the answers because they're like, yeah, I know what's next. I know, you know, yeah, I just know. And what I love about Philippi is you had a bunch of non-believers that put their faith in Jesus and all of a sudden they became the all-star church. I hope overflow becomes more and more like that. We already have that vibe, but I just love when people that don't know God come through these doors and they're just going, what's next? What I, and my prayer is too, that those of us that grew, I grew up in church. Like I was about born on the third pew on the right, you know, like I was one of those guys. But even then, I always try and refresh myself to remember what it was like in those seasons of life to come back in and have that momentum of just saying, what's next? And here he's saying one of the things we as Christ followers should be known for, known for. In other words, our reputation, people, if they say anything about you, they should go, well, they're really reasonable. That got quiet. Watching online, you could hear a pin drop on that one. Like, here's a challenge I, I gave our, our, our sister church down in Jamaica, Zio. I, I told them this weekend, I said, hey, maybe after church today, pull out your phone, text your three closest friends, or maybe your spouse and your two closest friends or family members, and just ask them, hey, do you, am I a reasonable person? Just ask them. Hey, do you, do you think I'm pretty reasonable? And what I found, I'll be honest, well, this will be therapy for me. I wish I had one of those couches I could lay back on and just talk to you guys. But like, I found, I tried it. I tried it. And, and what I love is the answer for me was, yeah, mostly. And I was like, what you mean mostly? And then they were like, see, no, I'm like, no, they were like, yeah, mostly. And I, but then I was like, well, what area am I not? And then I found the areas that they said are pretty much the exact areas God's working on me in. So I would just like quick litmus test. Some of us, that's all we needed was two verses today. Like you can walk out of here and just be like, I need to let, what does reasonable mean? It means able to reason. It means as Christ followers, we said this in Philippians 2, we're not an argumentative people. We're not. We, we don't like dispute with, we discuss. We're open to disagreements. Like we can disagree and not dispute. We can discuss and not, you know, like degenerate people. Like we are supposed to be a reasonable people, able to reason. And one of the ways I found like you can convey this is to stay curious, stay curious. Like with people in your life, so often, especially if we know them, we can think we know what we're thinking. Let me just say something we've all wanted to say to our parents, spouse, or children. You're not God. 
You're not a mind reader. You don't know what's, I found it happen over and over again in an argument that what'll end up happening is I'll start to argue about what I think they're thinking. And in all actuality, I am literally arguing with my thoughts about what they're thinking that aren't even verbalized. In other words, I start arguing with myself. And reasonableness, able to reason, looks at a person you disagree with and says, hey, tell me why you think that. Hey, what, where are you coming from on that? I want to learn. Let's find common ground in the middle here. Able to reason. And I think so often our world like, is just put off by church because we don't present this well. We're on street corner. I say we, I don't think they're good representations of the church, but we are on street corners holding up signs telling people they're going to hell. And then the Bible says, let your reasonableness be known. Maybe we should be sitting on the corner with like a free cup of coffee being like, you want to talk about is hell real? Like, or maybe instead of a sign that says you're going to hell, we should hold up a sign that says, how are you doing? I care. I care about you, stranger. I care. Anyways, I have so much more ground to cover. But here, so we see we're supposed to be joyful, rejoicing in the Lord. We're supposed to be known for our reasonableness. And guys, it's okay if you're not there yet. Some of it, that's a hard thing to be consistent in. But again, just ask yourself, where am I not reasonable? What's that subject or that topic that really gets under my skin? Why? And how can I grow in that area or with that person? And then he continues, the Lord is at hand. And then verse six, this is a, it it just gets like, I don't want to say worse and worse. I'll say it gets better and better. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, Paul. Now, like he says that and we're like, bro, really? But then remember the context he's writing it in. Paul says, rejoice. He says, be reasonable. And he says, don't be anxious. All in a first century dungeon chained to a Roman guard every day. After being beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, slandered against, thrown in prison, wrongfully accused, facing a death sentence. And he looks at us and says, rejoice, be reasonable, don't be anxious. If he can do it, we can do it. If he can do that, we can do that. Again, because we don't rejoice in our circumstances, in our prison cells, we rejoice in the Lord. And here he says, don't be anxious. Now, again, if you've ever struggled with anxiety or had an anxious moment and a Christian walked up to you and said, hey, don't be anxious. Again, you just want to punch them in their anxious face. Like that doesn't help me, man. That's like somebody bleeding and you go, stop bleeding. Okay. Or you can get a bandage or you can help wrap it up. And if somebody's struggling with anxiety, I think that's when we try and deploy what Paul says here. Don't be anxious about anything, but then he kind of gives us a step-by-step, I don't want to use the word remedy, but at least a, a help. He says, but in everything, in every situation, pray about it. Supplication means ask God's help with it. In prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and be thankful, talk to God and let your requests be known to him. I guarantee you today, even if some of us are struggling with anxiety, and I know some of it's chemical, guys, Like here at Overflow, can we, again, just be hot? Can we be humble, open, and transparent? Like we are supportive of counseling. We are supportive of therapy. We're supportive of medication if you need it. Like we're not ashamed of any of those things. Some of our greatest like believers and brothers and sisters in this church 
or whether it be on, you know, depression medication and things like that. Like those things are tools to help us get where God wants us to go. So I don't want to belittle like a chemical imbalance here, but I do want to say if you are struggling with anxiety in an anxious season or just having an anxious moment, I would implore you to maybe try this. Just pray about it. Just, just even that, like, hey, God, uh, like I, I know somebody that has panic attacks real bad. And even just going, God, I need your help right now. Will you please help me calm down? And then he says, with thanksgiving, God, thank you that I'm breathing. Thank you that this is going to be over soon. God, thank you that you're still on your throne. God, thank you it's going to be okay. Even in just thanking God and doing what Paul says, it can even be a therapeutic way to work through anxiety. That's how I love how the practical the Bible is. So he says, rejoice. Then he says, be reasonable. Then he says, don't be anxious. And all three of those are amazing. And then he really goes in on us. Verse seven, and the peace of God. How many of us could use some peace? Like real peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You know that. To me, that's one of the greatest ways you know you follow Jesus. Is when people in your life start going, how are you so calm? When people in your life go, how are you level right now? When when people go, how are you so peaceful? And it doesn't make sense to them. The peace that surpasses understanding. That, 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 That to me, man, I've been there a couple times in life. Like where it's just like, man, live or die, I feel like I'm okay. And that's just a good place to find yourself. And he says, man, there's a way to get that. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, and then he goes in on us. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, practice, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, that sounds great, right? That sounds great. The the title of my message today is we talking about practice? Anybody old enough 15 years ago, Allen Iverson in the post-game interview? Thank you. I have one guy. I was going to show the video, but it's so old, it's too pixelated to even show. It's like back before HD. One of my favorite basketball players, Allen Iverson, was being interviewed after a game, and and one of the reporters started asking him about missing practice, and he, he had this famous quote. He said, we talking about practice? We talking about practice? Not the game, but practice? And so the title of my message today is, we talking about practice? Because Paul says here, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we all just admitted we want peace. My first point is practice leads to peace. If we want peace in our lives, practice leads to peace. See what I found in my life, I won't speak for you guys, but what I found in my life is often I'm not if I'm not in the word and I'm not in community with God, and I'm not in community with the church. Often I will behave myself into problems. I will behave myself into situations that I try and pray myself out of. Again, just me. I know none of you do this, but I'll behave myself into a situation that I then go, God, how did I get here? And he's like, I'll tell you how you got there. Like, let's be honest, Corey. Right. Like, but, but I'll behave myself into a situation and then I'll try and pray myself out of it. 
But to me, it, it kind of reminds me of like growing up, like when you'd get in the game and you didn't have the skills you need because you didn't practice. Like I, I grew up playing, playing basketball. I got my assistant here. Thank you. Perfect pass. That was nice. Now, again, I said this before. I know I do not look like I grew up playing basketball, but I love this sport. I love it. NBA finals right now. Bunch of teams nobody cares about. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I grew up playing basketball and it reminds me of basketball because like when I first started playing, I mean, I started playing when I was like three or four. Like as soon as I could, I was one of those kids, like when I could hold a baseball, like I was rolling it. Like my dad was like, work on the grounders, right? Like I could probably dribble before I could walk because I'd just be sitting on the ground and dribbling. But like, I remember when I really started to learn to play basketball, there, there is something in every sport or in every area of life that comes natural to you. There, there's a thing in a way which comes natural. And in sports, often you're going to be naturally gifted where your dominant hand is. So I'm right-handed. Shoot right-handed, pass right-handed, dribble right-handed, right right-handed. Like, I'm right-handed. So when I first picked up a basketball, guess what hand I dribbled with? My right hand, right? And that's cool. I dribble with my right hand. I laid up with my right hand. I shot with my right hand. But what I quickly found is if I only relied on what came natural to me, I, it was so to my detriment in the game because I could only go one direction. I was a one-dimensional player, and therefore I wasn't a very good player. And so what I learned is this came natural, but this didn't. The left hand I look like I'd never played a sport before when I started. Some of you know this. If you've ever tried to play basketball, your dominant hand comes natural. You switch to your other hand. And I remember I started dribbling with my left hand and I kind of had to watch it. And I'd be like, okay, here we go. And then I got to the point where I could really dribble. And then I got to the point where I could look up. And then I got to the point where I could move. And all of a sudden, because I practiced something that didn't come natural to me, once I got in the game, I had options. Once I got in the game, I could go any direction I needed to go. Hear Paul saying, if you want peace when it matters, you got to practice it when it doesn't. See, practice is doing, what's doing what you need to do even when it's not required of you. It's, there's times in life where you feel good, where things are going well. And here Paul says, when it's going well, you better practice because it's going to not go well. Life's going to happen. If 2020 taught us anything, it's crazy stuff can happen in life. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts if you practice. If you practice it. I remember, man, in playing basketball, it was my favorite. When I, like, I'm, I don't know how to say this. Like, um, I'm, I'm evil when I play ball. Um, like, I love to get in people's heads. You know, if it, I'm competitive at nature, y'all pray for me. But like one of my favorite things in basketball is to quickly identify the weakness of my opponent. And you could so quickly see when somebody hadn't practiced with their offhand because they'd come up and they could only go one direction. And when somebody can only go dir one direction, you know what you do in basketball? You just take that direction away. So if they only go right and they only have a right hand, all I had to do is guard them like this, force them to go towards their weakness, and they would take one or two dribbles and I'd pick them every time because they didn't know how to be consistent where they were weak. Y'all know the enemy does the same thing to us? If you do not practice these things, when it comes go time, when life heats up, all the enemy does is cut you off on your weak side. Oh, you struggle with lust because you don't meditate on purity? Oh, I'm gonna drive you right towards that assistant. And we wonder, how did I get in this situation? It's because we couldn't cross over on the enemy. 
We couldn't go the other direction because we don't practice the wrong, the right things. Oh, you struggle with greed? Oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut off that opportunity at church, like keep you from going, and I'm going to force you towards a raise. But that raise, you're going to be chasing money. You're going to move your kids out of a good church. You're going to move across the country, and you're going to sacrifice community and spiritual growth and a solid family unit for the God of money. But can we cross over? Overflow today, can we, can we commit to practicing? So when the enemy forces us, all we got to do is cross over the other direction because we've been practicing. But what, what does he say to practice? He says, okay, think about these things. If you want to change, change starts in the mind. That's why Romans says, like, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to change your life, change your mind. And that's why Paul says right here, he says, this is the way to peace and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard, guard your hearts. And he says this, think about these things. This is what we should be practicing. He says, think about what is true. Think about what is true. Now that sounds cliche, but that is so abstract in today's day and time. Like in the 21st century, what is true feels like a moving target, especially with like relativism. Like, in other words, like, hey, Noah, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and you live your truth, and I live my truth. Like, that sounds so open and accepting. Except for the fact if my truth is, hey, guys, I'm seven feet tall. That's my truth. And you're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, but I feel seven feet tall on the inside. And you're like, but you're not. Because the definition of truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. And I do think it, it, it's just imperative on us as Christ followers to remember truth and to stay grounded in truth, especially on the news today. When like one side saying one thing, another side say another thing, it's important to go back to what is true. And let me just tell you today, let me remind you, you know what's true? God created the universe. God is the creator. You know what's true? God loves you. You know what's true? God is love. God is love. You know what's true? He loves you so much he sent his son. And Jesus was born of a virgin. That's true. Jesus lived sinlessly for you. That's true. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago for you. That's true. Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, shame, hell, and the wrath of God for you. That's true. And then Jesus sits on his throne in heaven right now, waiting to come back for his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. That's true. And he's saying, meditate, think on what's true, what you know to be true. And then he says, think about what's honorable. This is just, what are we thinking about? Are we thinking about that last show of The Bachelorette or are we thinking about what's honorable? Not that those are opposites, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all, oh, I'm going to preach. We're going to do a series called The Bachelor of The Bachelorette and I'm going to tear that show to pieces. I'm just kidding. I know a lot of people love it. A lot of people watch it. I hate it. Um, he says, think about what is honorable. Honorable means character that is exemplary. Think about what's honorable. This is the same language in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament when it comes to parents. It says, honor your parents. Honor those in authority. But it's saying, think about what's honorable. The Bible actually says the one area we can be competitive is an honor. It literally commands us to outdo one another in showing honor. How can you outdo one another in showing honor if you never think about what's honorable? 
What, just ask yourself, man, am I thinking about what's honorable? I'll continue. He says, think about what is just. Just means right in God's sight. Just means right in God's sight. Think about what is just. Like, man, we love justice here. We love seeing justice come. And you, but here's the other side. Of you. Some of us are like, yeah, justice. If they do something wrong, punish them. You know what's great? We love justice because we don't have to suffer the consequences of it. You know what justice is? I'll just say it. Justice is we all burn in hell for eternity and get the wrath of God poured out on us. That's justice. That's what we deserve. And again, when we think about justice, it should actually make us so grateful because God pours his mercy and grace on us. Therefore, we don't get what we deserve. We get God's mercy. And therefore, if we think about justice and what we actually deserve and how God doesn't give us that, it actually allows us in thinking of justice to be more merciful and graceful with people in our lives. See how this transforms your life? Like, you want more peace? Show more mercy and grace to people because you think about justice a lot. It'll change things. And then, and then he says, think about what's pure. Pure means innocent or clean. Now, pure, purity in our minds immediately goes to like a sexual connotation, right? Like purity. But it, it transcends every area of life. Man, just think about what's innocent, what's clean. And even as I say that, some of you have like a mental picture about things that are innocent. And it just kind of makes you smile, right? Like that's why people love kids, because it just reminds you of innocence. It's like, man... They're a little selfish, but like, they're just trying to enjoy life, right? It's sweet. It's, think about what's pure. It's two more. He says, think about what's lovely. Lovely defined here as pleasurable or enjoyable just for its own sake. Like a sunrise or a sunset. Like the sky at night. Or a beautiful flower. Like, think about what is lovely. The ocean. Like He's saying, think about these things. Y'all see how modern day psychology and meditation rips so much from the Bible? Like they rip so much from the, modern day psychology would tell you, breathe, inhale, exhale, and picture your place of peace. Well, the Bible says that the spirit of God, this actual Greek word is this word pneuma, which actually means breath. You can't pronounce it. The actual phrasing when God said, I am who I am, when God said his name, it's this name, Yahweh, which actually you can't pronounce. It's the Hebrew um, verbs. That's what the name of God sounds like. So God says, hey, when you feel stressed, say my name. In other words, breathe. And here he says, and think about what's lovely. See how modern day psychology is just ripping God's truths for the last. I love it when God gets proven right. And then he says, think about what is commendable, which means worthy of imitation. Man, I, I commend you. I commend that, man. I want to be like you. Think about things that pull you forward. And he's saying, if we practice these things when they're not required... But, you know, practice takes discipline. Any of you that have ever played a sport or, or, you know, been in a band or played an instrument or developed any kind of skill, you have got to do it when it's not required of you. So that way, when you get on stage and play with people, what comes out sounds right. Practice thinking about these things. Like, just pick a 10 minutes in your day and go, okay, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to think about what's lovely. I'm going to think about things that are just. I'm just going to think about it and watch what God does in your soul. And then Paul continues. So practice leads to peace. But then he says this, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in 
any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we've all heard that verse, right? You ever been to a football game? Philippians 4.13, right? Like, I can do all things through Christ. One of my favorite memes is, I can do all things through Christ by taking a verse out of context. Um, like, here... I'm not saying you can't win a football game. I'm not saying you can't get a promotion with Jesus. What I am saying is the context here is you can do all things in the context of I can be rich and I can be poor. I can be healthy or I can be unhealthy. It can be highs of life or low. Paul is saying, I know how to be brought low. Paul knows how to be brought. How many of us know what it's like to be brought low? You know what I mean? Like some of us have been through some stuff. Like some of us have been through some stuff. And when Paul says, I know how to be brought low, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get you on that one. I feel you. Now, now when I say Paul's brought low, again, shipwrecked, beaten multiple times, stoned multiple times, cat of nine tails five times, imprisoned, wrongfully accused, slandered against, had to walk everywhere, had no place to lay his head. Like Paul had been brought low. But then I also love, he says, I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to be poor and find contentment. And I know how to be rich and be content. Like Paul also ate in palaces. Paul also entertained world leaders and talked to them. Paul also grew up in the Sanhedrin. Like Paul knew how to abound. It it reminds me of Jesus. Like what he's saying is the trick, the key to joy is not in your circumstances. It's not in your possessions. He's saying the, the key to joy is contentment. It's learning how to be content. In any circumstance. See, God created contentment. Satan counterfeited it with covetousness. What is contentment? I'm good with what I have. I'm grateful. Sure. You want to give me more? I'll be grateful with that. You want to take some away? I'll be fine. Contentment. God created contentment. In the garden. Hey, here's everything. Right? He created that. And what did Satan come and do? Satan and they got, he got jealous and prideful of God started coveting it and he counterfeits contentment with covetousness. And so it raises the question today, are you content or are you coveting? Coveting means to want what someone else has and it becomes an all-encompassing desire of yours. It's okay to want things, it's okay to desire things, but you just need to be okay if you don't get them. I'm good either way, right? I'm content. And with like social media and all that stuff, it's so easy to fall prey to coveting. But here, he just reminds us that the secret of joy is to live in contentment. And I think about Jesus. Like, y'all know Jesus was rich and poor, right? Some of you are like, what? Jesus was rich? Yeah, before Jesus came to this earth, if you opened up his portfolio and pulled out the file, his balance sheet said everything. (laughs) Jesus owned everything. He was rich in heaven. And then he came, was born of a virgin in an animal trough, grew up the poor son of a carpenter. He was a tradesman in his adult life and the little money he did made, he couldn't even pay taxes without pulling money out of a fish, if you read it in the New Testament. And then he had the little money he made being stolen by a guy with him for three years in Judas. Jesus knew what it was like to be poor. He knew what it was like to be brought low and he knew what it was like to abound. And Jesus even modeled for us, your circumstances and your possessions have nothing to do with your joy if you know how to lock into contentment. Content, content, content. And then that's where Christians screw it up because we get into like covetousness or, 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 or like contentment. We mix it up and we turn it into like a prosperity gospel and a poverty gospel. 
Prosperity gospel is love God and he'll give you what you want. Get, 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 get. And the more you can get, the more it proves God loves you. The blessed life, like let's go. That's not a knock on Robert Morris. I actually believe in a lot of what he teaches. Blessed life you've ever lived. But you know what I'm talking about, like, right? And we, we, we make Christianity about coveting and getting. That's wrong. And then the poverty gospel says the only way you can follow Jesus is if you have nothing. Give everything away, be poor, and, and then you really love God. And if you have anything, you don't really love God. And then we don't see that in scripture either. Paul says, I've had a lot, I've had a little. It's not about my possessions, it's about my contentment and my king. Again, are we finding that? And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of that verse is I can be content when I'm poor. And the content text of that verse is, I can be content when I'm rich. Because it's not about that. It's not about that. And guys, y'all know this is true because we all know rich people that are miserable. And we've all met poor people that are so fun and happy. We know this is true. And then he kind of rounds it out. I'll skip over one section because we don't have time, but we'll go to verse 21. He says this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. My last thought here was when it comes to joy and peace is is words matter. Paul looks at his audience. He writes them and he says, you're saints. You're saints. I don't know how many of you identify today as a saint. Say this with me. Say, I am a saint. Now say it like you believe it. Say, I am a saint. See, we're not taught that. We're taught you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Sinner, right? Like sinner, sinner. And we wonder why we don't have peace and joy is because our entire religious life, people have been like sinner. And here Paul says, saint, Now, if you grew up Catholic, you're like, I'm not a saint. That's like Peter and and Paul and those guys. The Bible mentions sin over 300 times, and it only mentions it in the context of a Christ follower three times, and even those are questionable. But when it talks about Christ followers and people that follow God, over 200 times in the Bible, he calls anybody that says yes to God or Jesus, he says, you are a saint. You are a chosen son of God. You are a chosen daughter of God. You are a saint. And words matter, guys. I wrote it like this in my notes. Sin may describe some of your activity, but it does not define your identity. Sin describes, yes, we sin. Yes, it describes some of our activity. Yes, I will occasionally fall into sin. We all make mistakes, but that may describe some of my activity, but it does not define my identity. My identity, if I said yes to Jesus, is I am a saint. And when you identify as a saint, you walk different, you talk different. There's a different level of accountability. But if you identify as a sinner, so I'm a sinner, so I'm expected to sin, I'm just a sinner. No, no, we're saints that sin. We're not sinners that one day become saints. It is an entirely different approach to life. See, you will sin some of the time, but you are a saint all of the time if you've said yes to Jesus. And I love that Paul finishes this letter to to the church in Philippi. So, yeah, let me remind you of one more thing. You're a saint. You guys are saints. Walk like saints. Talk like saints. And again, we're like, no, 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 that's Paul, that's Peter, 
that's Thomas, that's it. And they go, no, 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 we're just like you. We're just some guys that met Jesus and gave our life to him. And we practice these things so that way we can walk, no matter the highs and lows, with real joy and real peace because we're content in the Lord. Overflow family, I think if we will practice these things that we've learned over the last three or four weeks, we are ready for the journey of joy. Let me pray for us before we worship one more time. Jesus, thank you that you see us as saints. Man, right now, even as I'm praying this, I know somebody watching online or here in person, man, they struggle with that. Maybe they've said yes to you. Maybe they prayed that prayer. But there's just so much shame and guilt. It's borderline impossible for them to to identify as a saint. And God, right now, I just pray that you would break through that. That you would break through that wall in someone's heart today. And God, if anyone under the sound of my voice is still living in that, in that center identification, God, I pray that today they would say yes to you, Jesus. Knowing that in you there is joy, there is peace, there is life, there is freedom. God, we'll just declare it. We're happy to celebrate freedom in America next week, but we know that that's like superficial because our real freedom is found in you, Jesus. And we declare that. We raise that flag. Just surrender to you today. Father, as we finish out this this amazing letter from Paul, I pray that you would just help us practice these things. Just hope. Tomorrow, I pray that you remind us for five, 10 minutes to practice thinking about these things. Wednesday, I pray that you help us to think about these things and practice these things. And God, as a church, I pray that we would be known as reasonable people. I pray that we would be known as peaceful people. God, I pray that we would be known as passionate people. God, I pray that we would be known as joy-filled people. And God, we know that the only way we can get any of that is through you. Because you're the one that makes the way. So we thank you for doing it. And it's in your name and in light of that that we worship. Amen.